Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You know, God left us here not to isolate ourselves from the culture, not to identify with the culture, but to influence the culture. And yet, I think you'd have to agree with me on the whole, Christians aren't doing that great of a job of influencing the culture, are we? Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. As Christians, it's perfectly natural to want to protect ourselves and our families from the negative influences of culture. But history shows that those who lead significant lives strive to influence the world, not isolate themselves from it. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shares why we ought to love and care for the people around us. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory as we continue our teaching series called Choosing the Extraordinary Life. It's a study that revolves around the incredible life of the prophet Elijah. To help you see the relevance of his life, I've put together an exclusive resource for you. It's called the Elijah Map, and I want you to have a complimentary copy while supplies last, just for contacting us today at ptv.org. The Elijah Map shows you some of the significant sites in Elijah's life and ministry. Now, I've also written a best-selling full-length book to coincide with this series called Choosing the Extraordinary Life. The subtitle of my book is God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. If you happen to have a copy of my book already, make sure to request one for a friend or a family member. Many are choosing to use this book and the accompanying study guide in their small group Bible study or Sunday school class, and my book is perfect for that because of the life application guide and even the video series that comes with it. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure these resources are sent to your home. Well, yesterday we addressed the first secret for choosing the extraordinary life. Discovering God's Unique Purpose for You. And on today's program, we'll venture into that second secret. Are you ready? I've titled today's message, Determine to Influence Your Culture. Billy Graham was on the cutting edge of the culture for more than 50 years. Yes, he was known for preaching the gospel in crusades all across the world where millions came to know Christ as Savior. But even though preaching the gospel was his primary function, it wasn't his only function. Billy Graham never shrinked away from addressing the spiritual and moral decay of our culture. Way back in 1965, in his book, World of Flame, Billy Graham hit upon a persistent problem confronting our culture. He wrote, in a declining culture, One of its characteristics is that ordinary people are unaware of what is happening. Modern man has become a spectator of world events, observing on his television screen without becoming involved. He watches the ominous events while he sips his beer in a comfortable chair. He does not understand that his world is on fire and that he is about to be burned with it. That ordinary man 
was me early in my ministry. No, I wasn't at home sipping beer. I, I can assure you of that. <laughs> but I would come home from working at the church, sit in my chair, turn on the television news, and just cluck my tongue over the sad situation we were living in. I actually believe that as long as I preached the gospel every Sunday and did that faithfully, that neither me nor my church had to worry about being engulfed in the flames of the culture. I soon discovered how wrong I was about that. My awakening occurred in 1998. I was pastoring the First Baptist Church in Wichita Falls, and one day, one of our members came into my office. She happened to work at the local library, and she had two books with her, two children's books that had been in the library. They were children's books written to extol the virtues of homosexuality to children. The books, which are infamous now, were titled Daddy's Roommate and Heather Has Two Mommies. The books were written from a child's point of view trying to normalize homosexual behavior. One book, Daddy's Roommate, was told by a little boy who explains in the book that his father left his mother in order to be with his friend named Frank. And in this children's books were children's illustrations where the little boy is telling what his daddy and his new friend Frank did together. And on one page it says, Daddy and Frank eat together. Then the next page, Daddy and Frank play together. And then the next page, and Daddy and Frank sleep together. And there was a children's illustration of two men in bed with one another while the boy is talking about what his dad and his new friend do. Well, the librarian, the, the person who worked at the library, at, uh, library brought those books to me, dropped them on my desk and said, now pastor, what are you going to do about these books? I said, thought to myself, what do you mean what am I going to do with these books? I'm busy preparing my sermon for Sunday. I don't have time to get involved with that. But it just happened that I was preaching through the book of Genesis in a year-long series, and that upcoming Sunday, that next Sunday, my text was Genesis 19 about God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Just happened. That happened to be a sermon that week. And I had already prepared most of my message, and one of the application points was, as Christians, we cannot condone what God has condemned. And I said to myself, self, how am I going to stand up and preach that with a straight face and not do something about this? Now, I didn't want to cause any kind of ruckus at all. I thought I could just have an amicable discussion with the local librarian about it. So I was driving home on Thursday afternoon, and I called her on my mobile phone, and I explained to her the situation. I said, now, I know you're probably not aware that these books are in the children's section of your library. But this one book, especially two men in bed together, I mean, given the fact that homosexual behavior is illegal in the state of Texas, and it was at that time, given the fact that homosexual behavior is responsible largely for one of the greatest epidemics in mankind, AIDS, and given the fact that homosexuality is condemned by all three major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, I'm sure you'd like to remove these books now that you know they're there. And she basically said, not on your life. I'm not removing those books and accuse me of everything under the sun. Well, I knew we had a problem at that point. 
So I thought about what I was going to do. So the next Sunday morning, I took those books with me in the pulpit, and I gave that point. We cannot condone what God has condemned. And I explained my dilemma. And I hadn't planned to do this, but the more I thought about it, the more worked up I got. And I held those library books up. We were on live TV at the time. And I said, therefore, I'm not returning these books to the library. You're going to have to come and get them if you want them. Well, that set off a firestorm you cannot imagine. Not just in our local community, but in the nation as well. The pastor who stole the library books. That's what I became known as. And so the local newspaper, which hated me already, they said in their next editorial, because of what I had done, I ought to be thrown into jail immediately uh, and incarcerated. Uh, there was a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit filed against our city for the next two years. Nothing but scathing letters denouncing me and our church in our local newspaper. In fact, the debate got so uh, serious that PBS actually came from New York and filmed a one-hour documentary about this controversy that a pastor had caused in a small West Texas town. You know, that was my baptism with fire. I was aware of what Romans 12, 18 says, as far as is possible with you, live at peace with all men. But I discovered through that experience that it is difficult to live at peace with a culture that is at odds with God. And Christians who want to make a significant difference in this world are going to learn that lesson. And that brings us to what we're talking about in this series on Elijah, choosing an extraordinary life. We're discovering from the life of Elijah his seven secrets for living a spiritually significant life, even though he was just an ordinary person. Last time, we looked at the secret, the foundation of the secret, discovering your life purpose. But today, we're going to begin looking at the second secret of spiritual significance, and that is determining to impact your culture determining to influence your culture for God. Let's first of all, look at God's mandate to actually even care for our culture. You know, some people actually believe that God has no interest in what is happening in the world. And yet, from the very beginning, God gave man the mandate to take care of the world in which he placed him. In Genesis 2, verse 15, the Bible says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. God's interest, listen to this, God's interest extend beyond the four walls of the church. God is not only interested in religious institutions. He's interested in the whole world. And that's why God said to Adam, I want you to cultivate the, war, the earth and to keep it. And that leads me to a definition of culture. Write this down. Culture is what human beings make of the world. When we talk about culture, we're talking about what human beings make of the world. Now, to be honest, human beings have done some good things for this world. Uh, they have made some improvements in this world. For example, walking is good, but if you're in an emergency and you need to get to the hospital, driving is better, isn't it? Uh, writing a letter, that's a good thing. 
But if you have a pressing problem at your business that you need input from others on, email is even better, isn't it? Uh, who today would want to trade laser surgery for surgery 150 years ago that basically consisted of a sharp knife and no anesthetic? I mean, we have improved things. We have cultivated the earth that God has planted us in. That is a good thing. But if we are honest, we'd also say that there has been a deterioration of our world as well. In the last 100 years, the last 150 years, look at the changes you've seen in our own country. 150 years ago, there was no doubt that this was a nation that was built on the Judeo-Christian ethic. That doesn't mean everybody subscribed to it, but the foundation of our law and society was the Judeo-Christian ethic. Today, our country is being guided by moral relativism and by postmodernism. What is our place in that culture that seems to be unraveling more day after day? Well, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, Paul gives us an interesting word picture of what we're to be in this deteriorating culture. He said, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He said, God has created us as his workmanship. That word workmanship is the Greek word poema. We get our word poem from it. Last time we talked about the story that God is writing in your life right now. Your story is like a poem God is writing through your life, not to be put on the shelf somewhere, but to be read by those around you. God wants others you come in contact with to see your life story, to see your stand for God. Of course, the key word is come in contact with. To influence our culture, we have to come in contact with our culture. More about that in just a moment. But let's expand this idea of culture and talk about what it means for ordinary people to cultivate their culture. Perhaps you're like this. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, I can't have any influence on the culture. When you think about the culture, you think about what's happening in Washington, D.C. or in Hollywood, California, and you think, that's the culture. I'm powerless to have any influence over it. But remember, culture is what you make of the world, specifically the world God has placed you in. You are in a particular culture, in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. And your job is to influence that culture. Perhaps you're a stay-at-home mom. And you think, I couldn't have any influence on the culture of our nation. But look, God has given you a great influence over those children in your home. Think about Hannah in the Old Testament. For years, she prayed that God would give her a child. And finally, he answered her prayer and gave her Samuel. She faithfully taught Samuel the fear of the Lord, the word of God. And then she delivered him to Eli, who trained him further. And Samuel became a mighty prophet of God, who greatly influenced the nation for good. Did Hannah influence her culture? Of course she did. Maybe you're a student right now in junior high, high school, or college for you, your culture is that school where God has placed you. Teenagers listening, don't underestimate the impact you can make right where you are, your culture, your school. When I was in the ninth grade, 
I attended this church, had been here all of my life. I wasn't a particularly spiritual person at all. I just kind of came to church like everybody else did. But one day, when I was at West Junior High School in Richardson, Texas, one of my teachers asked me if I would stay behind school and visit with her. I didn't feel like I had any choice, so I said, yes, I'd be happy to meet with you. And she was a Christian, even though we were in a secular high school. And I'll never forget where we were seated in that classroom. And she said, Robert, have you ever thought about the fact that God has placed you in this school with 3,000 people for a reason? And that reason is to lead other students to Christ? Honestly, that thought had never crossed my mind. And she said, I want to give you a challenge. And that is to make a list of five of your classmates who aren't Christians and to commit to pray for their salvation and commit that sometime during this year, you're going to share your faith with them. And honestly, I don't know why I agreed to do that, but there is something about that that kind of captivated my interest. The idea that maybe God had a bigger purpose for my life than simply going to school every day. And so I went home that night and I made a list of five people I knew who weren't Christians. And I made a commitment to the Lord that I would pray for them and witness to them. The first guy on my list was a student named Nick. Uh, Nick is what we used to call back then a hood. Uh, he wore the black leather jacket. He would hang out during the breaks in the smoking area of the school. Can you believe we had smoking areas where students actually went to smoke? But we did, and that's where Nick hung out. I mean, he looked like he was straight out of the cast of West Side Story, you know? And uh, everybody was afraid of Nick because of uh, his reputation. But one day, I screwed up the courage, and I said, Nick, could I meet with you after school today? What for? What do you want to meet with me for? And I said, well, I just want to talk to you about something. And he agreed. So we sat in our history class, vacant classroom, and I shared with him the four spiritual laws. And I remember closing by saying, Nick, is there any reason you wouldn't want to become a Christian today? He said, no, there's no reason. In fact, I think that was something I would like to do. And he prayed with me to trust in Christ as his Savior Little did I know, little did he know that he had a brain tumor growing in his brain. And within nine months, he was dead. That was the first person. That year, I saw every one of those students I had committed to pray for and share with come to faith in Christ. Now, I'll be the first to admit, my five converts did not match Billy Graham's hundreds of thousands of converts. He preached in football stadiums. He influenced Hollywood luminaries and presidents. He had a worldwide impact. But that was the culture God had placed him. My culture was that little corner of the world, West Junior High School in Richardson, Texas. What I'm saying to you is don't ever underestimate your ability to change your culture, wherever God has placed you, your home, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, God has placed you there for a reason. And you know what? When you're faithful to be that representative for Christ, wherever you are, don't be surprised if God doesn't expand your territory and your influence beyond that. 
That's exactly what happened with Elijah. You know, God left us here not to isolate ourselves from the culture, not to identify with the culture, but to influence the culture. And yet, I think you'd have to agree with me on the whole, Christians aren't doing that great of a job of influencing the culture, are we? I mean, look at what's happening. And that's amazing. When you see our culture unraveling with as many Christians as there are in this country, supposedly. You know, one survey says that one-fourth of the U.S. population claims to be evangelical Christian. One-fourth of 300 million would be 75 million people claim to be Christians. Somebody put that in perspective pretty well. You know, a pound of meat would probably be influenced by a quarter pound of salt, don't you think? Doesn't take much salt to impact meat. If you had a quarter pound of salt, you could really flavor a pound of meat. If a quarter of our population are Christians, why are we having zero influence on this culture? I think there are two reasons that I want to mention to you today. One reason is some Christians have become what I call silo saints. Instead of being salt that penetrates the meat, flavors the meat, preserves the meat, these Christians remain in the salt shaker, totally isolated from the meat. They become silo saints, and they actually pride themselves on that. They say, well, I don't want to get involved in the culture. I could pollute myself or I could pollute my family if I do that. In fact, some Christians have even come up with a theological justification for what they're doing. A popular book right now is called The Benedict Option. I hate even giving the book a plug because it is so insidious. But it's written by a Christian. And he claims that Christians ought to follow the example of that monastic church leader, St. Benedict, who basically said to his followers, let's just get in our holy huddle and try to encourage one another in these dark days and pray that bad people don't do anything evil to us. Is that what God has called us to do? No, but there are many Christians who fall for that and even justify that. The idea that we can just remain cloistered together and not to try to impact our culture for good is an idea that is absolutely foreign to Christianity. Fact is, spiritual silo people are isolating themselves from the culture. That's why they have no impact on the culture. They live in their silos. They are silo saints. Having heard the first part of my message, I wonder, is God stirring in your heart to begin making a difference in our culture for Him? Have you begun to feel the nudge from His Holy Spirit? As your radio pastor and Bible teacher, I believe God is telling you to step outside your comfort zone in order to become salt and light for Him. So let me suggest that you begin taking your first steps right now by contacting Pathway to Victory. I've written a book called Choosing the Extraordinary Life, God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. And my book goes into far more detail on secret number two than we've had time to discuss on today's program. A hardbound copy of my book is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. It also comes with a life application guide filled with questions for each chapter so that you can study more on your own or work through these topics with your small group Bible study or Sunday school class. 
As we close today's program, I'd like to affirm your partnership with this daily Bible teaching program. Perhaps you have no idea how much we value your generous gifts. In the last few years, Pathway to Victory has experienced unprecedented growth all across America and around the world. And it's because people like you have shared our passion for piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word. So, thanks for doing your part so that more and more people begin to discover their sweet spot and make an impact in our culture for the glory of God. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. When you give a generous amount to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll send you a copy of the best-selling book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, along with the Life Application Guide. It's our way of saying thanks. Simply call us toll-free at 866-999-2965, or even easier, go online to ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you the entire teaching series for Choosing the Extraordinary Life on CD and DVD. To request the CD and the DVD set, along with the book, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You could also send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress wraps up this message on determining to influence your culture. That's Wednesday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel, April 25th through May 5th, 2023. To learn more and to reserve your spot, go to ptv.org.